Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Welcome. How's everybody doing? I mean, it's so good to see you guys this weekend, uh, whether you're here in person or maybe you're watching online. Uh, we're so glad you're tuning in to Vintage Church this weekend and gathering with us. My name is Matthew Weaver, and I serve here as one of the pastors. And I just want to say, Merry Christmas. <laughs> we got to try that again. One, two, three. Merry Christmas. There we go. We can now start saying it all the time, okay? It's officially December. So uh, we're excited to gather together this weekend and to continue uh, our series called prepare, called prepare. And, and we've been walking through the book of Malachi and, and focusing on this Advent season, preparing for Jesus. Um, the season of Advent, I love it so much. Yes, it's Christmas, and I love Christmas so much, but ultimately, I love this time because Advent helps me uh, prepare my heart to remember, number one, that Jesus has already come, right? He's come. He's come as a baby. He came for us. He came to save the world. And then number two, uh, one day Jesus is coming back again. And this Advent season uh, reminds us to prepare for his coming. And so we've been in the book of Malachi. We've talked about um, this this idea of, of right preparation. Number one, a right love. We need a right love for Jesus. Number two, right worship. Number three, right marriage. Number four, right justice, and then last week was right giving, and today we're going to talk about a right relationship, a right relationship with the Lord. And if you've missed any of the sermons, I really want to encourage you to go to our website and go to our prepare webpage, nola.vcmvnt.com slash prepare, and watch those sermons and catch up on everything so far. So we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. I want you to go, to go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3 right now. And that's the last book in the Old Testament before the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 3 and also in the beginning of chapter 4 this weekend. And while you're turning there, let me just remind you of what this book is all about, okay? Uh, the name Malachi literally means my messenger. And the book of Malachi is uh, this last prophetic word that uh, God gives his people and the priests, right, the leaders of Israel, about the coming of Jesus. Okay, they're about to have a period of 400 years of silence leading up to the birth of Christ. And Malachi is reminding them they've come out of captivity, back to their home, and they're really struggling. If you read throughout this book, you see time and time and time again that they're really struggling in their faith. I mean, we can just all say, hey, been there, done that, still there today, right? We all struggle in our faith. We want to walk by sight rather than faith oftentimes. And that's what's happening here. And Malachi addresses them in all of these different areas of their faith that is struggling. And, and what we learn here, guys, is that um, we can learn about approaching God the way he wants us to as we prepare for him. And we prepare for the Lord this Advent season. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what it looks like to walk in a right relationship with God. So what I want to look at is chapter 3, verses 13 in the book of Malachi. 
Malachi 3, verses 13 through Malachi 4, verse 3. Okay, if you want to turn there, it's also going to be on the screen. Starting in verse 13, God's word says this. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi, God's messenger, is speaking to God's people through the Lord and talking about this right relationship that they need to have with the Lord. And we're going to unpack this text and look at two different examples of one group of people that obviously uh, did not walk in right relationship with God, then another group that did. And I hope and pray that we can learn from their example on how to walk in a right relationship with God. So here's our main idea. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. This is going to set the tone for the whole sermon. Our main idea is this. Uh, we prepare for the Lord when we walk in right relationship with Him. Let me say that one more time. We prepare for the Lord, for Him to come, when we walk in a right relationship with Him. So I want to I unpack this, and I want to look at what it looks like to walk in right relationship with God. And I want to give you three truths, uh, three main truths from this scripture about walking in right relationship with God. Number one is this. We walk in right relationship with God when we Resist pride and arrogance before God. We resist pride and arrogance before God. Verses 13 through 15, the first verses that I read, clearly show you a picture of pride and arrogance. First of all, uh, there's one group of people in this text that uh, in the nation of Israel that is complaining about what God expected of them. And if you look at verses 14 through 15, let me just read that one more time for us. 14 through 15 says, You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit 
of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Okay, the, the, this group is saying that as we follow, if we, as we try to follow God, we are like mourning and we would rather be arrogant. We would think that we can just get away with anything that our actions really don't matter, that our hearts really don't matter, that, hey, we're actually going to be okay. We can do whatever we want and escape from God's judgment and consequences. And they thought that life would just be better off without God. That's the point they had gotten to in this text. And God, through Malachi, calls them out in their pride, calls them out in their arrogance, calls them out in their hypocrisy, and basically tells them that their words and their actions are not aligned. Their hearts and their actions and their words are all over the place, and they're just doing things without the proper motivation. Anybody ever been there? I've been there many, many times. I'm doing stuff that I think I'm doing this for God, I'm doing this for God, and I don't check my heart, I don't check my motives, I don't check the reason that I'm doing things, and God is not pleased with that. God knows the heart. We can't hide the heart from God. And this group thought that they could hide their motivations from God. They were prideful and they were arrogant. That's right, being prideful and arrogant. I want to give you two quick things. Uh, to resist pride and arrogance before God, we must, first of all, we must stay humble. We must stay humble. Okay? It's obvious that the opposite of pride is humility. And I just want you to think about those of you that are watching online or here in person, if you know Jesus Christ, like just go back to the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and ask yourself the question, did I do anything to save myself? Yes, I responded to the gospel, like God spoke to me and man, I was drawn to the goodness of his grace and what he did for me on the cross, but did I in my own power save myself? The answer is no. Jesus saved me, right? Jesus set me apart. God gave me new life in him. I can do nothing for God apart from God. So we must stay humble. Number two is we must remember the why. We've got to remember the why. And I love this because obviously over time, this group of people uh, throughout the book of Malachi, their hearts have obviously grown harder and harder and harder towards God. Nothing happens overnight, right? This is often a process of us saying, God, I don't need you. And it starts with one day, and 30 days later, we find ourselves in a really dark place, and we forget that this has been a gradual process because we haven't stayed close to the Lord. And we've forgotten why we even follow after the Lord to begin with. We've got to remember the why. And the why, ultimately, guys, is a relationship with God. It's all about relationship. Christmas time, for example, is about God pursuing a relationship with us, right? God chose to send his son Jesus in the form of a baby to be born and to live a life among us and to die on the cross, rise again, experience a lot of things that we experience, pain, suffering, heartache, death. And he did that to pursue a relationship with us. 
And if we forget that following God is ultimately the why is a relationship, and we're just doing stuff for God, and we're not going back to the relationship, we're going to eventually hit a wall. And so we've got to remember the why. Anything in life, if you forget why you're doing it, it's easy to become numb to it, right? It's so easy. Just go through the motions. You know, I think about Christmas time. You know, we all have different Christmas traditions that we enjoy doing. Obviously, as believers in Jesus, we reflect on Jesus. We do Advent. We read the Word. We, we come and celebrate with other believers and share this hope with other people. But uh, we also, in our families and our friends, like, we all have fun traditions that we do during Christmas time. Some of you, uh, maybe you decorate your home, you put the tree up. Uh, you guys like the trees out there on stage? You know, do you like those? All right, thank you. Yeah, I had a little something to do with that, but not everything. Uh, it was a team effort. But hey, we do all these things, and, and we do these things, and, and we don't just do them to do them. We have fun. We enjoy these memories. Decorating, making good food, going to parties, watching movies like Elf and all these awesome movies we watch. And some of you may even watch these things called Hallmark movies. I hear some giggles in the audience. Maybe you're at home right now and you're like, yeah, I watched one last night. It was incredible. Got the warm fuzzies, right? And look, I'm just going to say a couple things about Hallmark movies and I'll move on real quick. But when I'm talking about the why, I'm just going to tell you, like, there's a lot of things I enjoy doing during Christmas and I know why I'm doing them. The only time you're going to catch me watching a Hallmark movie, and if you catch me, and, and I'm not doing this, I give you full permission to call me out and to make fun of me, is if my wife wants to watch one with me, okay? And I'm just being, being honest with you. She will want to watch them. She loves them, right? And a lot of you love them as well. And I'm not going to watch them unless she wants to. That's my why for Hallmark movies, because I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. There's a guy. There's a girl. One of them just came out of a breakup, or two of them. They're brokenhearted. They don't know what they're doing. They're wandering around. They're maybe in a new, small, cute town, or they're visiting a massive city, and Christmas is everywhere, and lights are everywhere, and they're having a ball, and, and well, they just run into somebody. They fall in love with a stranger or a friend from high school, or somebody connects with them, or this and that, and they just hit it off. They get married at Christmas, out of all the times, and they live happily ever after. So if you're wondering what Hallmark movies are all about during Christmas, there you go, okay? And they're fun to watch. But I'm not going to watch it unless my wife Emily wants to watch one. That's my why. But all these things that we do, if we just do them because that's what you do at Christmas and we don't remember the why, it's not as impactful for us. We're just doing them. And we're not going to approach Christmas traditions and say, let's just get this over with. Maybe we do. And when we do that, we don't enjoy them. But when we say, let's enjoy this tradition, let's enjoy this memory, let's take these moments in and make some memories with our friends and family. And let's remember the why. And when we do that in life falling after God, we resist pride and arrogance before God. So that's the first thing. The second truth is this. Secondly, uh, we walk in right relationship with God when we do this. Number two, fear God and walk in righteousness. Resist pride and arrogance before God, and then fear God and walk in righteousness. Okay, I want to transition now. When you keep reading, you see in verses 16 through 18, a second group of people begin to speak up. 
And the second group of people, the text says that this was the group that feared the Lord. They spoke up, and these are the ones that says, those who feared the Lord. And they had a worship and a reverence and an awe before God and what he had done in their lives. And they remembered his faithfulness, and they bowed down and worshiped him and fell at his feet and knew that they were nothing apart from him. And God is honored with this group. The text says that uh, there was a book of remembrance that would be written down for them. This is really important because in this time period, uh, kings would often have royal archives where their most significant events were written down and recorded. So the, the people in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament here, they would write things down to, uh, to record them and remember them. And we read about this throughout the Bible, right? That, that those that know Jesus, there's this book of life that we are written in, right? Like God records us. God knows us. He he knows us by name, and we are actually sealed with him, and, and we are uh, written in the Lamb's book of life. But actually, in the book of Malachi, this probably is actually a very specific physical scroll or book that the nation had that Malachi gave them to remind them that they were in God's covenant and family. I mean, just think about going to a party, right? There's nothing worse than showing up and figuring out, finding out that your name wasn't written down, you weren't invited. Oops. <laughs> but when you know that you got the invite, you sent the RSVP, right? You are written down, and this is what God sees for those that fear Him and walk in righteousness. I want you to look at verses 17 through 18. In the text, it says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. So don't miss this here. There's a distinction of wicked and righteous. There is a distinction of wicked and righteous. These are two completely different types of people, the wicked and the righteous. I want to look at Psalm chapter 1 real quick, and it's going to be on the screen if you just want to check it out as I read Psalm chapter 1. And This is a beautiful picture in Scripture that we can learn about what does it look like, this distinction between the wicked and the righteous. In Psalm 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is intense. 
But this is important, that there is a distinction between wicked and righteous. Malachi reminds them that this second group is identified with the righteous. These are the ones that are firmly planted like a tree that loves God and loves people. Loves God and loves people. The righteous. And I love Psalm chapter 1. It teaches us that storms are going to come, trials are going to come, years like 2020 are going to happen. But if you're counted in the righteous number, you will not be shaken if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he's got you. He's got you. You're firmly planted. You're in the righteous number. You either serve God or you don't serve God. I go back to Mark Anthony's sermon uh, earlier in this series about worship. He talked about that, right? Who or what you serve points to who or what you worship. What you put your time into, your energy into, your identity in, that is who you worship. And the text says, you either serve God or you don't. So there's a distinction between the, the, the wicked and the righteous. Do you fear God and walk in righteousness? Let me just share this really quickly, then we'll move on to our last point. Like, those that know Jesus Christ, if you're, if you're watching or here right now and you're, you're listening, like, you and I should be set apart from the world. We should look different, right? Think about a year like 2020. It's almost over, but I'm just going to let you know. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. 2021 is coming, but it's still going to be a hard year. Who knows? It's, it could be. We, we don't know what the future holds, but if we know Jesus Christ, we should look different than the world, even when years like 2020 happen. Christians should look different. Christians should respond differently. We're called to be set apart, not to blend in, but to be the light in the darkness. Fear God and walk in righteousness. Number three is this. The last thing is that we walk in a right relationship with God when we anticipate what's to come. Okay, we anticipate what's to come. We resist pride and arrogance before God we fear God and we walk in righteousness, and then we anticipate once what's to come. Look at chapter 4, and chapter 4 begins to unpack what we've talked about in this series. Pastor Dust has talked about it, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. In the book of Malachi, what, what it's really doing here is, is Malachi is God's messenger, Malachi is pointing to John the Baptist, who would be the messenger to prepare the way for Jesus, right? John the Baptist would then point to Jesus, his first coming. Jesus would come, as he already has, and then we know that one day he's coming back again. And this day of the Lord is, is something that we need to never forget, okay? And chapter 4 kicks off the chapter. Malachi says, for behold... And these are two, two words that, I mean, I've been reading the Bible a long time, and, and uh, I'm learning that it's probably better for me to slow down and take in some of these words that I often read past, okay? When you read, behold, it's basically another way of saying, wake up, 
Some of y'all are waking up now. You, you jerked up, right? Wake up. This is God's way of saying, wake up, everybody. Behold. Stand up. Stand up tall. Get ready. Don't back down. Be alert. Wake up. And what he's saying is, wake up because everything that you do today has eternal implications for the day of the Lord. Does that make sense? And so this should remind us that our lifetime right now, although it's short, it's fragile, we don't know when our last day is, we know that every day matters because every day what we do for God or what we don't do for God will have eternal implications. And Malachi is warning them, this is not just about you sitting around and waiting on the day of the Lord. This is about you actively, right now, living a life of obedience for God, wholeheartedly. We've got to anticipate what's to come. So what can we anticipate? There's, there's a couple things I want to just share. The first thing, I want to talk about the wicked group. Because remember, there's the wicked and there's the righteous. What can the wicked anticipate? They can anticipate eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from God. As you, if you keep reading in chapter 4, Malachi says things like this. Burning like an oven, set them ablaze. And this is imagery that is reminding this group that God is going to come and his wrath is coming. We've talked about God's judgment, right? We know that evil has to be judged. God is a just God. And he's going to punish all evil. We don't have time to dive into a lot of that right now, but we just need to know in general that God's wrath is a thing, and he is coming and he will punish evil. It also says that neither root or branch will be left. And basically what that means is that every foundation will be destroyed. For those that are wicked and don't know God and rebel and choose to not follow God, it says that there will be neither root or branch. In other words, there's no chance of any life coming back. The foundation is taken away. There's nothing to fall back onto. The wicked can anticipate eternal separation from God, judgment and punishment, and just saying eternal separation from God should be enough to wake us up. And here's my, here's my plea and prayer right now at this point. If you are here or watching and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I just encourage you? It's worth it to follow Jesus. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I promise you, you do not want to experience eternal separation from God. That's not me trying to scare you. That's just me reading the Bible and, and feeling the weight of this and learning that, man, there is a lot at stake here. And if you don't know Jesus, he loves you. He wants you to choose to give your life to him. And if you would just give your life to him, you would escape this eternal separation from God. Christians, if you're watching, if you're here, this should burden you and me to live on mission. Christmas time, right? Everybody's seeking, everybody's searching, everybody's trying to get uh, to feel good in Christmas and get happy, you know, all these things, emotions and things that are enjoyable, but like Christmas eventually ends. 
But this is a great time for you to go share the gospel with your friends and neighbors. Invite them to a vintage Christmas. Pursue them, pray for them. Let this reality burden you with a sense of urgency for those that don't know God. So that's the wicked. And now we've got to look at the righteous. The righteous will experience eternal life with God. Isn't that good news? Because look, let's just be honest. God could have left us in a state of separation from Him. But He loves us so much that He's made a way for us to know and love Him and follow Him. And if you are a believer, if you know Jesus, you are counted in this righteous group and you'll experience eternal life with God. The text says things like son of righteousness. And this points to a sunrise. Man, who loves a good sunrise? I haven't been up that early in a while, but you know, I love a good sunrise when I get the chance. Watching the sun, watching the darkness fade away, watching the sun rise. It also says healing in its wings. I mean, healing, eternal healing, eternal shelter and protection from sin and pain and evil. All of that will be taken away. Leaping like calves from the stall. And this just basically means like calves being released from the stall into an open land of freedom to just run around wherever they want. This sense of freedom. You're no longer bound. And then it says, tread down the wicked as ashes under the soles of your feet. God's people will be victorious over evil. And God wins in the end. That's really good news for us. Somebody really needs to hear that, including me, especially with this year. God wins in the end. It's already written. It's already done. And until that day comes, we are on mission for Him. There's a purpose for our life, living for Him. So these are the two options that we are to anticipate. So my question for you would be, will you enter into this eternal life with God. When I look at these two options, it's very clear, it's a hard truth to take in, but it's very clear that there's only two options. There's no middle ground. It's either righteous or wicked. And I'm reminded, like time and time again, when I read things like this and take this in, that it is so worth it to be counted in that righteous number. Even when I want to quit and give up and I question, is this worth it? Yes, it's worth it, because in the end, God wins. So my question for you is, will you give your life to Jesus if you don't know him? This Christmas season, be righteous. And I think in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, I want to read that to you. It's going to be on the screen, a couple of verses there. Jesus talks about this righteous life. Remember, Malachi is ultimately about Jesus and Advent and anticipating him. And Jesus came and he lived a life and he taught us how to live. And in Matthew 7, he talks about these two gates, the wide gate and the narrow gate. And in verses 13 through 14, Jesus says this. He's teaching and he says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those that enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it 
are few. Beautiful example of these two options we have. One is wide and easy. One is narrow and hard that leads to life. One leads to destruction. Who loves to go hiking? Raise your hand, even if you're watching online. Wave at me. We live in South Louisiana. We don't have elevation here. Okay, so hiking here is more like trail walking. Um, But I love to hike. When I get a chance to go somewhere that has elevation, which is pretty much everywhere else, um, I love to hike. I love to get outdoors, go in the woods. And and, and, uh, I think about this because my wife and I went hiking um, back in September. We went on a trip to Washington State which was like a bucket list trip for us, and it was awesome. And we did a lot of fun hiking. I think there's a picture we're going to show of one of our hikes there. And we went into these rainforests, which is just amazing, like uh, the greenest thing you'll ever seen. And you, you walk on these trails, and you guys know how it goes with hiking. There's a main trail, right? There's a main wide trail that they, it's pretty much the one that most people are going on, especially those that aren't like expert hikers, because it's usually the easier trail. And it'll eventually, you know, take you to a cool spot. But then when you're hiking, you start to notice these, um, these smaller trails off the side, don't you? And you always wonder, like, I kind of want to check that out, but I don't know where it's going to lead. <laughs> you know, it's a little more rough looking. It looks a little more hard, a little more intense of a hike. And we took one of these trails, and I just remember in hiking, right, we have these main trails, but also these small trails that we pass. And what I've learned when I try the hard, smaller trails, I get to the top. It's a lot of hard work. It's rough terrain. It might take a little longer, but when I get to the top, the view is 10 times better than the the big main trail, right? And I think about this idea of a trail. There's two options in front of you. One's wide, one's narrow. The wide one's the easy one. The narrow one's the hard one but you know that if you go on the narrow trail and you persevere and you keep going and you make it to the top, the view is breathtaking and it's worth it. You get up there and you're like, that was worth it. And that is the righteous life. I want you to take this bullet point truth in, okay? God's way through Jesus is better than our way. God's way through Jesus is better than our way. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the the path he's created for us, it's not easy, but it's worth it, and it's, it's hard, but it's better than anything we could do apart from Jesus. The life that you think you could live and, and live in a, an awesome life apart from Jesus, the tough life with Jesus is a million times better. Because he has made the way, provided life for you, given you eternal life, eternal reward, triumph over your enemies and sin, death, and hell. His presence is with you. And it's worth it to do things Jesus' way. Anything in life that's hard. Anything. Think about it right now. What's something you've faced recently? Just think about it right now. It was hard. You had to put in some hard work. You had to persevere. But when you got to the other side, it was worth it, wasn't it? Now think of a time when you just decided you weren't going to do anything. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit around. I'm going to be lazy. I'm not going to put in the hard work. How did that go for you in the end? Not so well. I think about me with school. Okay, middle school and high school for me, I'm just going to be honest. 
I didn't try hard at all. <laughs> I really didn't, okay? I was just having fun, hanging out with my friends, living, you know, that fun life, whatever. And uh, I really wish I would have tried harder because I would have had better options in college. Then I got to college and then I got to seminary and I started to learn that if I actually want to do well in something, I have to study and try hard. I can't just wing it. And anything in life is like that. If you want to experience reward and blessing and everything God has for you, it's going to be hard, but the hard work pays off. If you decide to not put in the hard work, it's not going to pay off. But I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Resist pride and arrogance before God. Fear God and walk in righteousness and anticipate what's to come. Will you do that this Christmas season? Will you take this challenge and this charge to put in the hard work so that you can be associated and counted in that righteous second group of the text, saying, I'm with God. I'm a child of God, and He knows me by name. I'm going to keep persevering, and I'm going to not give up until I receive that reward of eternal life. So will you prepare for the Lord by walking in right relationship with Him? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you, God, that you have demonstrated your love to us. Even reading the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, you didn't have to pursue people, but you did because people are made in your image and you love people and you desire a relationship with people. You're patient with us even when we abandon you, we, we walk away, you still pursue us. And then you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to live a life of humility, to model what it looks like to be holy. And then you rose again. And you sent your Holy Spirit to equip, to empower us, to live for you. And one day, you're coming back again. And we all want to be counted in that, that number. So God, I pray as we respond that you would move and change hearts. And God, that you would just do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray.